Hey there, bingers. Who's up for a lighthearted and fun conversation? If that's what you're in the mood for, then this week's bonus episode is just what you're looking for. I am joined today by the hosts of the Date with Dateline podcast, my friends, Katie and Kimberly. The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. How are you ladies doing? We're nervous, I think. Nervous? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I don't know if you knew that you were Bob Ruff, but yeah. um, you're Bob <laughs> Ruff, and this is truth of justice. So it's big time. We have met. There's that. We have, yes. I, I believe at least Katie and I have had cigarettes yes, together. we have. At a bar <laughs> yes. in LA. Uh, we That's also true. talked briefly at CrimeCon uh, in New Orleans for like two seconds. Oh, that's yeah. right. Um, I definitely more remember the uh, hanging out at the the fan meetup. By the way, I've quit smoking since then. Have you? I'm using e-cigarette. Uh, I did too. <laughs> Does that count? I feel like so. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. The real things. No, I have not. It's been a long time. But e-cigarette. I'm supposed to be like Me trailing too. off. It's very hard. I don't know. It's so hard. I'm in the I'm in the process of quitting the e-cigarette. How's that? Right How's now. How's that going? It's yeah, terrible. it's terrible. It's worse than cigarettes. Oh god, don't tell me ever. that. Oh no. <laughs> Huge trouble. Oh no. It's like my little joy oh. and so I'm like, "Oh, I don't want to give it, Oh, I don't want to give it up." But uh, yeah, I know I'm supposed to. Kimberly's just like, "It's time. You said you were going to." And I'm like, "Yeah. This year. I don't want to be a nag. I never no, nag though." But I I feel it. <laughs> I just give side eye, like those people hmm. without vices. They, they have don't. no idea. Oh, I have so many vices. Trust me. <laughs> oh, we're gonna get into get trust into me. those. <laughs> Is there anything that we need to be prepped for, question wise, that we're not prepped for? You're not gonna. Are you gonna surprise no, us? No. As a matter of fact, the interview you may not know, but has the interview started. has already started. Oh, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope your mommy knows that you smoke. No, she doesn't. But um. I'm going to give her a different link to this and be like, oh, it got messed up somehow. Right. It got messed up. Right. Hopefully people can tell by my voice. His, his show yeah, got canceled, just... so um, you can't listen mom. to it. Oh, Lord. I'm sorry. Right. So uh, I, I'm speaking with uh, Katie and Kimberly from the Date with Dateline podcast, who, as as I mentioned here, I had I met you guys when I was in L.A., I was actually filming my TV show and we did a fan meet up there and we had Jim Clemente and Laura Richards and Lisa Zambetti were there and Liz Rose came and that's when I got to meet both of you when you were both living on the West Coast. Yeah, Liz invited us. We covered the case. Dateline did an episode called Unspeakable about Sandra Melgar and we right away just felt something was very wrong and talked about it on the show. And then Liz happened to listen to the podcast, reached out to us, said, I'd love to talk to you guys. You're funny. Let's be friends. And she came <laughs> on our show and then we just became friends with her. So she invited us and we were very excited. 
Katie was super starstruck, especially at Jim Clemente. Oh, no, at both, at, Bo- at Barbara. <laughs> at both, at Bob as well. <laughs> at Jim Clemente. I was sweaty hands. It was, I almost didn't go in. I feel like Kimberly had to give me a pep talk. I was like, yeah, it's, it's fine. I'll just stand in the back. It's fine. You played it off very well. I was overwhelmed by the fact that you were taller than me, and I don't come across that very often. Uh, so I, I myself was Oh, oh, good. One thing. I got one thing. Just a, I'm a giant. I can use that to my advantage. But it was a lot because I was listening to both you and he just regularly. So it was, mm-hmm. it's also that surreal experience of meeting people that you hear all the time when you're in your car. It was, it was a lot. That's why we didn't show our faces for the first year yeah, or two. Yeah, for a long time. Um, for a long time, we never showed our faces ever, ever, because we just didn't want pe- I didn't want people to be disappointed. <laughs> you picture something in your head, and then you see them, and you're like, oh. Bob, you did people. it right from the beginning, because it's actually your face, like, sitting with the arms well, in your sort of artwork. And I was like, that's <laughs> the way to do it, because right. then everyone knows exactly who they're listening to. It's great. It's perfect. Well, two things. One, uh, that picture is now going on five years old and about 30 pounds ago, so I will <laughs> never, ever be updating no. it, ever. Uh, <laughs> and then, no. uh, uh, but I, actually, what's funny about that was I had, for the first uh, year, nine months or so of the podcast, when it was the Serial Dynasty, I had another logo. Oh. And when I put that logo out that actually had me on it, I was flooded with all these comments and the most, and everybody's like, you don't look like I thought you looked. And the most common response that I got was, I always thought that you were an older and aging, overweight, bald man. Apparently, oh, so it's what you my have voice right. portrait. <laughs> That's amazing. So they're pleasantly surprised when they see you. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I didn't know whether to be to be like insulted or feel complimented by that. But the fact that my voice sounds like you know their grandfather's voice, I think it's that means it's comforting, and that you're more good looking than they thought. So just take it as a win, Bob. Don't overanalyze it. Yeah. Well, this is fantastic. I think we should talk more about some other great things about me. Yes, uh, as part of this episode <laughs> today, this is going swimmingly. <laughs> Your podcast is excellent. Top of the top. <laughs> Love it. We recommend been a fan it to everyone. Since day one. Um, yeah. That's true. Katie has been. I just jumped on when you did Sandra Melgar. Right. Uh, so, but you guys came. So you said you went a while without, without showing your yeah. faces. And I do remember that you referred to Liz affectionately as Fizz on your, yes. your podcast episode. But then you guys kind of busted out into the space and you're kind of like, like, like the rock stars, you have lines of people wanting to take pictures with you at CrimeCon now. Oh, no, that's, that's false. That's that's absolutely <laughs> false. I appreciate that. But I think that's also that fact that we didn't show what we looked like. So taking a picture with us is was kind of like taking a picture with Loch, Loch Ness Monster. Because it's like, oh, this is actually them. And then you see people online being like, no, that's not them. Yeah, it is. But yeah, it, that kind of worked in our favor to create that mystery. Um, I don't know how much that was based on our content, more the mystery of who we were. It worked. Yeah. And then we blew it. We released our photo now and over. now it's over. Yeah. Mystery. <laughs> now we do a live stream and there's all sorts of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you you guys are doing great. And you now, um, are you guys doing this professionally now where this is your like your career? Is it just a side job or, or what has your transition been in the last couple of years of doing the podcast? The first year was our money 
into the podcast, no money, no ads, no Patreon, nothing, side mm -hmm. job completely. And then we started our Patreon, and that has been really great. And then we started eventually getting ads maybe the second or third year. And now it's one of a few jobs we have, but it's a definitely our main job. But we both have other things that we do for side income It's as more well. side projects that we'll take on, but mainly this is the job. Like I remember when you, because I'm sorry, Bob, if I'm remembering this wrong, but were you a fire captain? A Fire, Fire chief. chief. Okay. Thank you very much. But I remember. Cheesecake. Sorry. Captain. Oh, Lord. I don't know God. the ranking system. I should have. I should have given over. that a bang. I didn't know. Okay. So, um, <laughs> wait a minute. But I remember distinctly when you stopped doing that and then did podcast full time. That happened like. I remember when that happened. I remember thinking that's the dream. Mm -hmm. That would be amazing to be able to sort of transition into doing this thing that you really loved full time. And now Kimberly and I are kind of able to do that. And it is kind of a dream. It's really great to be able to speak with my best friend about true crime every week. It's a good gig if you can get it. It's really... Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. And so talk to me a little bit about, and I'll, I'll start with Kimberly. What did you do for a living before you were a professional true crime podcaster? Um, for 12 years, I was a assistant in Hollywood to a film director, a film and TV director, creator. His name is, was Gary Marshall, and um, he created Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days and directed oh, wow. Pretty Woman and Princess Diaries. And he's huge, was big. And I was lucky enough to be an assistant for him. And when he passed away, I was just unemployed for a while. And we started the podcast maybe right at the tail end of when I was leaving that job, I think. So yeah. did you have any transition yeah. jobs or was it that and then and then scraping by until the podcast took off? Yeah, I've had um, a couple side jobs. He owns a he owned built a theater, a stage theater. So I always kind of worked for them as well. And uh, it's now called the Gary Marshall Theater. It was called the Falcon Theater in Burbank. And I also have always, since 2007, maybe, have had an Etsy shop with my inappropriate cross stitches that have the F word and things <laughs> like that on them. Um, and so I've always had that as kind of a side gig. It doesn't make a lot of money, but it's definitely helps pay the bills as like a little extra income. And then I would take on whatever anyone needed me to do, script reading, typing up things, anything like that, secretarial type work. So where do people find your Etsy shop if they want to buy some of your inappropriate cross stitches? It's called Stitches Be Crazy. Crazy's with a K. And it's on Etsy and it's fun, but beware it's inappropriate. Give Super me an example. Give me an example of some phraseology on one of your cross stitches. You know, so people know what to expect. Yeah. Calm your tits. Um <laughs> Ha you know, Merry fucking Christmas. Can I say these words? This is shocking to Katie no, and to me. No, we don't cuss on our show. There's no swearing in the show, and Mike's going to have to bleep all that out. Thanks so much. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, uh, damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Can I say the D-A-N word? I was joking. You can say whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> we don't cuss at all on our show. Like, at all. So, this is... It feels weird. It feels like I'm going to get in trouble. Like <laughs> my mom is going to walk in the room or something. Let me, let me talk about that choice for a minute. So so I have on many occasions had people upset with me because I have used, you know, one of those four-letter words that upset people 
on, on several occasions, everyone, somebody will write me and be like, you know, I, I like to listen to this with my kid. And you said the F word and you should at least give a warning before my kids listen. And I think that the good warning should be, I'm talking about there we murder. Go. Murder. Not appropriate for children. Is there really a family-friendly murder show? Is there? <laughs> right. Mm. So why did you guys choose to to not – obviously, you're you're familiar with swearing. I've heard you say some horrible words on the show here just a minute ago <laughs> and uh, <laughs> make a living selling, stitching them onto uh, cross-stitches and selling them. So why did you decide not to swear on Date with Dateline? Why did we? I think it was – I think we didn't want to put a mature rating on it and limit our viewership since we were just starting out and we had maybe 100 people listening. We didn't want to lower that to maybe 90 if there were 10 people that would be offended by swearing. And then it just sort of became a thing that people kind of liked and we would get messages saying, I appreciate that you don't swear because I can listen to it with my Kids in the I, car. The, the youngest I've heard is maybe yeah. eight years old that they're listening, <laughs> right. which still seems weird because sometimes the Dateline plots get pretty salacious. So right. there's definitely yeah. SEX happening. And it, so we might not be cussing, but there's other stuff happening that's inappropriate. Yeah, we had a lot of moms. And so we just sort of thought, okay. Yeah. And honestly, both of us just don't cuss a lot in normal conversation. But it's so nice to be able to punctuate Sometimes. something with a good old-fashioned yeah. F-U-C-K, and right. we just can't. So we have to come, you know, we come up with different words. So we call, like, certain guys that are gross teenage <laughs> dirt bags, we call them bags of wieners. And, <laughs> um, you know, so, like, we just try to p- play around with it so that it's kind of yeah. safe. <laughs> gotcha. I'm, we're still looking for a good word for the bitc. Yeah, we haven't word. found that yet. I haven't found a good solution for I, that. I hate I hate to bring this up, but um, I believe that a large percentage of our audience does in fact know how to spell. And now you. <laughs> That's unfortunate because <laughs> right is too. But I know I know you would think listening to a guy like me that they don't spell, but a lot of them do. <laughs> so. Katie, uh, what did you do before you were a podcaster extraordinary? Oh, I was a stylist for clothing, not hair. A clothing mm-hmm. stylist. Which, that sounds a like a sort of glamorous do? job. It's not that glamorous. Um, you go to photo shoots and you tell people what to wear and argue with them about why it's the appropriate thing for them to wear. That's a lot of that. Um, and then uh, that sort of led to other jobs, which I worked for an auction house for a while, where we would auction off a TV and movie memorabilia that's kind of the job that i was that i was doing mainly but i got that through being a stylist because they would do these photo shoots of all the you know wardrobe from a certain show from the new girl Mm -hmm. or like you know big shows so when the show goes off the air they would auction off the the stuff from the show the memorabilia the stuff that was on set and so i came in as a stylist for them and then stayed because i was actually kind of good at the other parts and so then i was you know, heading up the auctions in a different way. And that was, it was interesting to get to see all this stuff. That was really fun. If you like TV, it's a fun job because I got to look at a lot of neat, I got to see the whole set from the office, which was really fun. Um, Yeah, that was, it's neat. And then you, you know, you love those shows. Uh, One of the other shows I got to work on was Veep from HBO and I love Veep. So it was, it was great. It was really fun. And she hired me. I totally forgot. That was one of my oh, yeah. side jobs. I hired I would, Kimberly to write. I would type the descriptions for the items, like 
this cup was on Dwight's desk when he pranked Jim in episode 15 and we try to make it funny. Yeah, it was fun. So that's yeah. so awesome. Especially you keep using that example. And I love still love. the. I office. know. Right. Oh, yeah. my goodness. And the thing the you would be amazed some of the prices those things went for just a stapler. It was a normal stapler, but it sat on Stanley's desk. And so everybody wanted so, it. It was pretty fun to watch that auction happen for sure. It was neat. So the, the auction thing is cool. And, and so when you were a stylist, you were a stylist in LA for like. And TV I say shows? stylist, I worked wardrobe on some, not any movies that you would have seen. You know, I wasn't a big time, lower, lower budget, budget sort of wardrobe stylist. So I would do some photography, some fashion, and then I worked on set. But um, I am not. Whereas Kimberly is great on set. So Kimberly could go to a film or a TV set and she was really, she loved it, right? Kimberly, you liked it, right? Yeah. Oh, I, it yeah. was not mm-hmm. for me. I have like an attention problem. So sitting around and a lot of what you're doing on film and TV sets is you're waiting. And so for someone like me that likes to be busy, that is a nightmare scape because you're just waiting <laughs> right. all the time. And so there's only so many times you can lint roll a sweater. They're just... There's a there's right. a limit, believe it or not. And so not if you take pride in your work, Katie. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Thank you, Mom. I appreciate that. <laughs> so you mentioned you work, you make a podcast with your best friend. Like how did you guys meet and how long have you been the best friends? We can't reveal that because that would reveal uh, our age, but it has been over ten years and closer to double that. I'm gonna be cryptic about it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, so you it's met double when you were double, five, six so years old. If your double ten years. Do they your, do math? Can your audience do math as well as spell? No, uh, surprisingly, great at spelling, terrible great. addition. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. And multiplication is completely off the table. Okay. Good. It's been four times five years. Um at <laughs> we met in college. So it was um it's been we've been best friends ever since. And I wanted to do Kimberly's an amazing storyteller. If anyone has listened to our podcast, you'll know she's really good. And it was time to put those talents to use for the world to hear how good she is at telling an episode of something. So tell tell me that process. At some point, I, this is I'm, I'm always so curious when you know two people, friends or mm-hmm. whatever, coworkers decide. I'm going to make a true crime podcast. And like, how, how did that happen? What was the conversation? How did you land on, you know, covering Dateline episodes? Whose idea was it? Tell me this whole story in three minutes sure. or less. Um, it, was, <laughs> <laughs> it was my idea because Kimberly, like I said, uh, many a times had on a road trip or just in a conversation, conveyed an entire episode of something to me. There was a time in particular, she told me an entire lifetime movie from beginning to end. And I like listening <laughs> to Kimberly tell me a movie as much as I like watching a movie, because I feel like I'm watching it okay. when she's telling it. And so it was just I listened to a lot of true crime podcasts, maybe yours. Yes, yours, and a few others right. um, <laughs> religiously. And I thought I would really love to do this. I was doing a lot of voiceover type stuff at the time. And so I was like, oh, this mm-hmm. would be what a great combination because I had a mic and I had some stuff. Um, and I thought Dateline, nobody was nobody had touched Dateline, honestly. And Kimberly loves mm-hmm. Dateline. I knew Kimberly loved Dateline. And so like I'd seen pretty much every right. episode in the and had told me years. some. So I it was sort of a natural thing. And then I just kind of had to talk her into it. It wasn't that hard. 
I feel like it wasn't that hard to talk you into it. You didn't think it would. You just thought I, I was. It was one of my ideas. I have a lot of ideas. And she was like, "Okay, well, just yeah. do this for a month and keep Katie happy." And That's then yeah. it turned out to be really fun, right? Right? Yeah, I didn't think. <laughs> yes, I didn't think anyone would listen, but. I but thought, I knew people okay. would because Something I loved it. And there's going to be people like me out there that would that like to hear a story. So it's great. It's good. Honestly, I didn't think I would listen. Huh. And then, you know, it just. It, Thanks, Bob. Right. But I do. Uh, but, you know, because it was it was it, I just think, oh, you know, it's right. to women that are breaking down a Dateline episode. Not for me. I've listened. I listened to the first time when same as Liz did when you covered the mm-hmm. Melgar case. And then, and so you've been in my feed ever since then. And when I see something come up that looks like, oh, that's an interesting case I'll listen to. And then, of course, the one we're going to talk about today, I listen to. So I pop in from time to time and I do enjoy, you guys have a great chemistry together and you do a really good job on your production. Uh, so I enjoy it, despite the fact that I didn't think that I would. Thank you. Thank that means you. a lot. I'm getting a tear. A backhanded comment. <laughs> that's compliment there. Crazy. <laughs> no, I like we'll it. We'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> No, but I, I do enjoy it. It's an it's a interesting format. It's interesting that no one had taken on Dateline before, you know, with all the podcasts right? out there. That was the And with one. how popular Dateline is. I mean, Dateline has a crazy community of obsessed Dateline fans. It trends on Twitter every Friday night. These people that have become kind of a Dateline family, and they embraced us and became part of our family. And it's this, it's really, in, I mean, you know from your show that you're legions of listeners. That yeah. it's funny that true crime brings people together in that way, but it really does. And Dateline has these fans, these really loyal fans. So we're lucky that they accepted us. Yeah. But it's surprising that no one had done it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. We lucked out. Yeah. Well, you guys do a great job. Um, I, want, we, I want to get into this case, but I, I am curious. Uh, Katie, you now live in Pennsylvania. You've moved away from your bestie um, mm. and from the the hustle and bustle of Hollywood life. Mm-hmm. Uh, what drew you out east at Pennsylvania? COVID. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, it was... T- um, <laughs> Same reason Joe Rogan moved to Austin? Well, it was time for a change. We'd been, I'd been in LA for a long time. My husband had been in LA for a long time. And uh, an opportunity came up for him at work. And we couldn't really think of a good reason not to. Kimberly and I always record remotely. We record over, um, you know, a Zoom type situation where we see each other mm-hmm. we're recording. And so, and also, I kind of knew that Kimberly would be okay with it because I'm like, oh, no, Kimberly's going to see this as an excuse to come out and stay on the East Coast with me. It's an adventure. And sure enough, right. that's exactly what she said. She's like, oh, no, now I get a reason to come out there. And I said, yeah, and we have an extra room for her. Like, yeah, it's, it was... It's just a change for a little bit. I don't know how long it'll last, but it's really nice to be in weather for the first time. I've never seen snow. I mean, it's really fun. I was going to ask you, how are you adapting to the uh, the the Northeast winters? Oh, I think I was born to be here. I really like it. <laughs> I very much, I really wanted to come to school out on the East Coast and it didn't happen for me, but I, mm-hmm. boy, I... It's beautiful. And California has some beautiful spots. It has the beach and things like that. But there's a beach here, too. And mm-hmm. it's just, I really, really enjoy it. I enjoy how old everything is. I really like brick. Yeah, I'm into it. <laughs> it's for real. <laughs> Are you out near, uh, out near the Poconos, that area out in the eastern part of the state? I'm in, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm like a half an hour from the Jersey border. I'm an hour and a half from New York City. 
Okay, and you look very confused when I said Poconos, as though you don't know what I I'm talking about. I heard Post, not Poconos. I have heard of the Poconos, and I've seen a sign, and somebody was <laughs> talking about it the other day. So I know it's a thing. What is it? Very, what is the Poconos? Very, it's just a little pretty mountainy area you should go check oh, out. Okay. Especially in the fall. Does it not sound she like an island, though? There. Poconos in sounds like defense. an island. <laughs> does it does no, no, it like definitely does. Okay. Oh, I thought it was an island. Oh, yeah. good. Okay, but so I'm it's not me geography. being... Okay, yeah. All right, yep. there we go. <laughs> All right, ladies, enough small talk. We have a we have a case, a true crime case that was covered on Dateline that we're going to cover. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and I think that the best way to go into the break is, would be for Kimberly to tell our listeners that we're going into it. We're going to take a short break and come back and talk about the case, but use some swears when you do it. <gasps> Jesus. Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all you listeners, uh, don't press the f- fast forward. Listen to those bomb ads and come back because we've got a kick crazy b- <gasps> episode to talk about with twists and turns that will make you sh- your pants. <laughs> What's happening? The best ever. I'm sweating a little. Bob's crying, I think. <laughs> Kimberly. <laughs> I'm so horrified at myself right now. All right. So, Katie and Kimberly, you guys on your podcast every week break down an episode of Dateline. And you're not always just working on the current one. Sometimes you go, you go back in time and dig into the archives. So, tell us a little bit about the case that we're going to be discussing today. Well, I was, we were both nervous about deciding on a case. I asked Liz slash Fizz what she thought. (laughs) I gave her a couple options. She said, oh, Bob's really funny. He'll love something super salacious. And then I asked you and you said, oh, I love the super salacious. And then you said, well, maybe for truth and justice, we'll do the little bit more of a mystery. We don't quite know who the killer is and we'll save the super salacious for something else. For true crime bins later, right. For Yes. So this episode is called Mystery in Big Sky Country. And what's great about Dateline is I think why a lot of people listen to it is the there's a comfort from getting closure at the end when the killer is caught, the bad guy's caught, and the family gets justice. But sometimes they do these episodes where it just doesn't end up like that, and we're not quite sure what happened. And we're hoping you can help us figure everything out. Yes, please. And so that's kind of why we picked this one. Oh, that's my job is to figure yeah. the case oh, out. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Yes, it For completely sure. is. Yeah. I, this is being squarely mm-hmm. placed on your shoulders. No. <laughs> okay, gotcha. I do have some thoughts. I mean, it was, it was super interesting. I listened to your guys' episode on the, your Big Sky episode first. And then I went and actually watched, um, which you can stream, because this is a 2016 episode, right? Yeah. It was It was like four years old. Yes. Yes. But we aired it in May or March of this past yeah. year. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and you can go on uh, Dateline's website and stream, which I which I did, and and of course listen to your episode on it. It is a it is a really intriguing case, and I have to be honest, I am. Uh, you guys are gonna hate no. this. I am. I am. I am more of a 2020 guy myself, but that's Dude, not that's my fine. Twenty twenty. No, that's ha- fine. They invited. You're saying that's fine, and Kim- and Katie's giving me dirty looks. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> but- I'm thinking about something else. No. <laughs> <laughs> they they invited me on their show, so that's that's the reason I'm more oh, of a 2020 person. That makes sense. But because of that, so you guys, because you're doing this case, and I wanted to do some research for the episode, I watched 
this two-hour Dateline special. And it's it it is very different from 2020, mm-hmm. and but it was really enjoyable. Uh, the 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 storytelling that that goes on in those Dateline episodes is is really good. And I was in and Keith Morrison as an interviewer is is the best because he comes across as this like you know the, this this suit and tie you know old school journalist, but then but then fires back at the people that he's interviewing all the with like smart ass comments all the time mm-hmm. when they're being when they're being ridiculous. You get a lot of oh come on yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it, and and I may start watching Dateline more. Hey, we you'll love all four of the hosts now. They have Natalie Morales, so there's going to be five, but we are obsessed with each host. They each have their own vibe and they mm-hmm. each have these quotes that are amazing. Um, Keith Morrison once said, um, the doctor's emotion seemed, how to put it, disconnected from his tear ducts. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Sir Mankey with the hanky, Josh Mankiewicz. He's come on our show a few times. Uh-huh. He's incredible. And he has this smirk that he gives when they're ki- the killer's giving him BS mm-hmm. and he just isn't going to take it. They're incredible. Andrea Canning, Dennis Murphy, so, so good. Each one brings their own kind of personality to it and their own storytelling thing to it. Kind of their own flavor. Yes. Yes. Well, Keith does a great job in this one. So give us kind of the basic beats of this case, because it is, I mean, aside from us, we've been joking around a lot and having a good time. uh, But really, this is a very interesting case, and it is still technically an unsolved case. uh, And I'm curious if anything's been done with it since this this episode airs. But give us the, the basics of the case. Okay, so I wrote it out so because it was confusing. So I'm going to read it. Okay. Bear with me. Okay, in 1996 in Montana, this is the story of a hot young veterinarian living in a small town a la Ted from Schitt's Creek. His name is Brian Rhine. One week, Brian goes out of town for a veterinary conference. He comes back on a Friday night. No one hears from him on Saturday. And on Sunday, he's found dead shot in his home. Unfortunately, the person that finds him thinks that it's a suicide. So the crime scene is basically destroyed. The blood is literally wiped up with towels by super helpful cops. There's two suspects. The main suspect is Tom Jaraseski, the ex-boyfriend of Anne, the girl Brian had started dating. He had been stalking Anne and Brian, basically kidnapped Anne, broke into Anne's house and read her diary, broke into Brian's house looking for Anne, but neither Anne nor Brian report him to the police and ignore these giant crimson red flags. After a year and a half, Tom is arrested for Brian's murder, but ultimately never charged because, and I swear to you that this is real, an evidence-sniffing dog named Calamity Jane's certification papers blew away off the roof of her handler's car, which only happens on Dateline. Cut to 18 years after the murder, when a new investigator takes over the case and arrests Tom again, still with no physical evidence, just circumstantial evidence. Here's where it gets trickier. The autopsy never lists a time of death or even a window of death. So the prosecutors think that Tom killed Brian on Friday night, mostly because they think it was Tom and Tom has an alibi for Saturday. But there's also a second suspect who has an alibi for Friday night, but not Saturday. So maybe Brian was killed on Saturday by the other guy. The second suspect is Brian's very troubled friend, Larry Hagenbush, who had tried to kill himself a month before the murder using animal drugs that he got from Brian. So maybe he came back for more pills, Brian said no, Larry grabbed Brian's gun, and there was a struggle. Larry knew things about the crime scene that he shouldn't have known and was telling people all over town these things. And Tom's defense team tries to convince the jury 
that Brian was killed on Saturday by Larry, not Friday by Tom. There's a theory involving dog poop. There's the steak and eggs in Brian's stomach. There's also the water shoes moment, which Dateline doesn't emphasize, but which Katie and I believed solved the whole case. Hashtag water shoes are bigger than Watergate. Hashtag water shoes watershed moment. Brian was wearing water shoes when he was killed. So when was he going fishing? At night on Friday or on Saturday, which would point to Larry, not Tom. The jury finds Tom not guilty. The defense tells the jury, your instinct will be to try to make this case make sense and to solve it, but it cannot be solved. And the judge tells the jury, if you believe in heaven, when you get there, ask Brian who killed him because that's the only way we're going to know. So Katie and I figured, screw the judge and the defense, Bob Ruff can solve this case. Bob, go. (laughs) Take it away. Okay, uh, I've got it all worked out right here. Uh, (laughs) No, uh, no, a few things. Uh, Number one, um, congratulations. I think you're the first person to ever read a script on the podcast. Sorry. Um, That was very good. That was very, very good. It was well written. It took me a minute to figure if you're reading like the Dateline, like, like no, release on it, or me. if you wrote it, and then I could tell you wrote it, and then I wondered, did you write? And here's the tricky part, or did that just come to you naturally in the reading? <laughs> I think that came to me naturally. In <laughs> that, the was, reading. that was a nice ad lib. It, it flowed right in. <laughs> okay, with the thank you. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So so basically, you got this this, uh, and I love the Shit's Creek reference. Huge fan. Oh yeah, um, so good. Basically, this is Ted from Shit's Creek, the handsome new dentist, and this is a tiny town, isn't there? Like like three hundred people in yes. this town. Like two Montana, 60 yeah. or something crazy. Yeah. So it's this little bitty town. The good looking uh, veterinarian comes in. He gets the attention of Anne, who has a boyfriend, live-in boyfriend, Tom. Um, so so you've got this kind of love triangle going, going on. And then as, as far as the murder goes, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, everybody kind of really give the cops a hard time, but I totally get it. So it's a town of 260 people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they haven't had a homicide there ever or been years and years since anybody had been killed in that town. Mm -hmm. And so the original caller says, you know, uh, uh, Brian committed suicide. They seem laying there in in reasonable assumption, lots of blood and the guns laying right next to his hand. So they assume it's suicide and the cops come in and and they do a horrible thing for the investigation. They clean the entire crime scene without collecting any evidence, only take, what, a dozen pictures. Yeah. 12 pictures. Yeah. Yeah. This is the worst thing ever. It's like the, any investigator's worst nightmare. But I can totally see, uh, you know, why they would do it. I, I've actually dealt with, I've been to crime scenes where, uh, where there have been completed suicides in smaller towns and, and seen just this where, you know, because these families are oftentimes either left cleaning that up themselves or mm-hmm. spending a ton of money for these contracted services that come and that kind of tend to sometimes prey on mm. these people. And come in and do the cleanup for them. Um, and so I have definitely, I, I have seen and been a part of, you know, trying to help clean some things up for the family. So it, it's, it seems like, you know, it's almost Mayberry, right? These guys are just right. trying mm-hmm. to help. But Brian was shot twice in the arm and once in the right. chest. So no one commits suicide by testing out the gun on their arm first right. and then shooting themselves in right. the chest, right? Especially, especially not twice. Right, yeah. which makes which makes me wonder. Like, I I wonder how much like investigative work they did, or are they just like, oh, obviously a suicide, and they put him in a body bag and ship him out of there without even 
looking or if a coroner was there to start an examining the body or when the cleanup started. It just because yeah, if they if they looked at the injuries, um, they, they had to they had to know this was obvi- very obviously wasn't wasn't a suicide, right? But but I but I'll give them a mild pass for being okay. you know trying to help the family. Mm-hmm. It's a horrible thing for them to have to deal with. But yeah, then this this whole the uh, the water shoes you said, Kimberly, that he was wearing water shoes. Yes, but he was actually one wearing shoe. one shoe. Ah, water shoe. Correct. Ah, water shoe. Which I think is a huge ah, deal. Second water shoe was on the front porch. It's only one near drops of blood. Right. Yeah. So there's so obviously you know in breaking down the crime scene, I haven't seen crime scene photos or anything, but you know other than just what you saw flash on the screen on, on Dateline, but. Yeah, so obviously the, the 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 confrontation starts on the porch. He he's out of a shoe, and you guys had some interesting theories about the shoe. Yes. Well, we don't know a lot about fishing, but it seemed odd to us that at ten forty at night, which was when they think he was maybe killed on Friday night, because he was on the phone with Anne and he had to get off the phone really quickly. It seemed odd to do night fishing like that. Um, I don't know if people do night fishing; but they probably do. Um, but he had just come back from an out-of-town conference. It seemed very strange he was going to go night fishing. We thought the shoes more indicated that it was on Saturday that he was killed. That he was either coming back from a tr- from fishing, so he was coming in the door from fishing or leaving to go fishing. But one of the two, it seemed like it was more likely a Saturday event. And Dateline didn't cover it at all. They barely mentioned the shoes. And in the trial, we don't see them mention the shoes either. I wish they had dug more into his victimology. You know, they tell the story about the kind of the love triangle. Then you got the friend Larry who had, who had tried to commit suicide prior to with some medicine he got from, mm-hmm. which they don't say how he got mm-hmm. it from. You know, that's also that was, big information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did he steal it from Brian? Did Brian give or it did to Brian him? Or did Brian give exactly. it to him? Did Brian sell it to him? There's a lot of things that play into his victimology. Mm-hmm. But even like the water shoes. I'm a fisherman. I've never, I haven't worn water shoes since I'm six. And it was because, you know, if, if the water shoes are what I'm thinking about, which the rubber bottom and the mesh yes. top that you wear, mm-hmm. you know, like a water park so you don't scrape up the bottom of your feet. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And, and what time of year was this? So it was August. It was summer. Sorry, July. July. So it's possible that the sun was going down later and maybe he went out at 8 o'clock, but it would still be totally dark at 1030. But the water shoes tell us what kind of terrain he's going on, right? Is he going rock to rock? That would be the reason he's wearing. So he's going into the stream rock to rock, but he's not wearing waders. We're in Montana. So he's not fly fishing. So it's going to be something that like, where is the area that he'd be needing water shoes because it's rocky. So he's, you know, Did you say he wouldn't be fly fishing because it's Montana. No, no, because he's not in waders. He was just oh, in water shoes. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and that's what I'm. What, that's what I'm wondering is. I mean, normally, like if I go fly fishing, I'm wearing waders. But certainly, mm-hmm. I've been out where it's like, you know, really hot and nice out, and I don't want to wear uncomfortable waders, and I might wear like just like creek shoes or something. Water shoes. Just to, yeah, yeah. They're a little more high tech. The stuff that I wear, I'm kind of a big Elf, deal. They I are, have. of course. I call them creek, I call them creek shoes. Uh, they're not like <laughs> the water shoes I had as a small child, uh, but. That's a perfect segue for your ad sponsored by. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to mention. Water also, isn't it called Crick? I think it's a Crick, isn't it? <laughs> right. no. Okay, that's <laughs> different. That's a different thing. Got it. I should have brought this up in the first segment, but I also love your ads. And I was going to ask you guys: you always, whenever you guys read ads, you always tie them into what you're talking about. So, do you record those in real time during your recording sessions? Yes. Yeah, I take a lot of time to write them into my recaps. Uh-huh. So. 
Yeah, it's a nightmare if we have to go back and add them in. It is. Because then I have to Mm -hmm. remember what the episode was about, and we have to find a perfect segue spot. It doesn't go well. So It's very impressive. It makes more sense, because we do ours differently. We do Monday's ad day. We record our ads, and then we plug them in later, and we could never pull off what you guys pull off. Because half the time, I don't even realize it is an ad. And and speaking of water shoes... You know, or whatever. I fully <laughs> copy that from Kevin Flynn. Um, from these are their stories, their Law and Order podcast. Rebecca Lavoie and Kevin Flynn. I totally copy right, it right, from right. them. Yeah, it works. So I give him full credit. Uh, it's very well done. And Thank back to you. the case. Uh, yeah, the, the water <laughs> shoes thing. I don't know. There's a lot of things that you know, like I said, me as an avid fisherman, that would be like what kind of fishing? Because they said there's a fishing rod out there. Well, what was it? Was it a fly rod? If it's a fly exactly. rod, very unlikely that he's going to be fishing at night. If it's uh, a big spinning rod that has a two ounce weight on it, then he likely is fishing at night because he's probably fishing for something like catfish or something where you do go out at night and fish that way. So the tackle, the rod, um, any friends of his that know, you know, what his fishing habits were might be able to answer that. The fact that he came, like, I don't know if during the struggle, if he came out of the water shoe, the one. Which is interesting because they're, if I remember, they're pretty snug fit. They're kind of designed to be. Yes. You know, how, or was he like, I think you guys had mentioned on the show, maybe he was in the process of either putting them on or taking them off, Mm -hmm. which the front, I would lean towards taking them off because the front porch would be a very, you know, obvious place to take your water shoes off because they're wet and you don't want to come into the house with them. As opposed Mm -hmm. to if you're, you know, once they're dry, you would store them, I would think, inside. And maybe mm-hmm. put them on inside. So I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. They, they, I, I think they are in the. And if you didn't catch during the reading there earlier, uh, the, the big. It's a big. It's very important if we know whether or not Brian died on Friday night or if he died on Saturday. And there's and the, the problem we have is you know you have the call to Ann Friday night. He has to get off in a hurry, mm-hmm. and then nobody hears from him all weekend. And then his body's found on Sunday. So if he died, uh, if he was killed on Friday night. If I remember this correctly, if he's killed on Friday night, Tom doesn't have an alibi, but Larry has an alibi. Correct. And if he's killed yes. on Saturday night, Larry doesn't have an alibi, but Tom has an alibi. Yes. There's also nothing stating he died at night. He could have died Saturday right. in the middle of the day, so he could have very easily not talked to anybody Friday night, gone to bed, gotten up Saturday morning, gone fishing, come back. And that's when he was killed at sometime Saturday midday is when he was right. killed and then found on Sunday, which to to me, at least, I think to Kimberly as well, makes the most sense because of the other evidence that we have, which is do- the dog. There's a dog situation mm-hmm. with a dog going to the bathroom inside the house and then the contents of his stomach. So those seem to be, to us, the three main things seem to be the dog, the contents of the stomach, and what he's wearing, which are these water shoes, which pretty clearly indicate that he is either going to or coming back, probably coming back from fishing. Right, which would yeah indicate it could be you know pushed more towards Saturday. Saturday. I'm a little dumbfounded that the Emmy wasn't able to. This is one of the, this is what happens to me. This is why I don't do a lot of true crime stuff. You get frustrated. Well, I you know I do full deep dive investigation, so I'm like, well, where's the fucking autopsy what was the lividity set at what was his where was his rigor yeah. was it still still yeah. forming was it breaking down right what were the you know the, the amount of stomach contacts when did, he, when did he eat last certainly plays into that but you might be, not be able to put a 
time on it, but certainly a day on it, you know, unless, mm -hmm. you know, because there's a, there, it takes a certain period of time for lividity to fully fix. So like, right. if it's not fully fixed when they find him on Sunday morning, then you would think, oh, well, then he probably didn't die Friday. Because right. it would have, you know, or where was the rigor at? So, like, I want to know. I have all these questions every time I watch one of these or listen to one of these. But, but so then we're left with these weird circumstantial things, like the dog poop. Uh, ex explain, explain, Katie, your issue with the dog poop. Oh, the issue or lack thereof, dog poop. Well, you had a dog, Cody, that was in his the bunkhouse where he lived, what they called it, and the dog was trapped inside the until the body was found. So the dog, there was no dog urine or no dog feces in, we're told there was none in the actual house. So that would mean that the dog would be let, had been let out at some point to use the restroom. And there's on no planet is a dog holding, you know, holding that stuff from Friday night until Sunday morning. That's an entire, what is that? That's more than, that's 36 hours. That's not happening. Right now, the family says they're they're sure the dog could have found its way out and then I got his way Katie back in. Argued, yeah, he's probably not coming back in. Right, and the so dog was in when the body out. was found. Yeah, I, I I definitely don't buy the snuck out, snuck back in. The yeah. holding a thing. There's the, the two issues that I have with that is one, the fact that you 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 seem to have Barney Fife cleaning up the crime scene, so who knows. Correct. If they cleaned it up. If Correct. they cleaned up something up or if they didn't document or if they didn't notice it. And the other thing is, I don't know how long it's ever been pushed, but I can. I have German Shepherds. Oh. And, and they will not go to the bathroom in the house. They would rather die than go mm -hmm. to the bathroom in my house. And oh. so they, like, there have definitely been, now, now where we live now, we actually have a dog door and an invisible fence. They can come and go whenever they want to. But there have definitely been times at our at our old house where we had to let him out and it was like, we let him out and then they came inside and then we left in the early afternoon to meet somebody for lunch that turned into dinner and then drinks and then, mm -hmm. and then maybe you have a couple too many to end up crashing on a couch, you know, at a buddy, buddy's mm -hmm. couch or something mm -hmm. and don't get back. You know, it's like you didn't intend to leave them in there. And then, so we, we've, we've definitely have left the house at noon, you know, not planning to be gone that long and not got back until the next day, almost 24 hours and, and nothing. no 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 poop or pee in the house but the other thing that our dogs it do it sort of depends on the dog thing. we don't really know it's yeah some dogs can't we don't know how well trained cody was or how sure and also german shepherds are smart dogs and so like my dogs when we leave they don't eat or drink pretty much when we're gone They'll, they can have a full mm. bowl of food and it will sit there until we get back really and it's like they and in my i think dogs are people and so in my mind, yes, they yes. think, well, if I eat, then I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. And so I'm not going to eat until I know I can go to the bathroom. Right. Because wow. I don't want to get my little nose rubbed in it. <laughs> I love German That's shepherds. how I talk to my dogs. I love German shepherds. The, I would love to see that. pretty dogs. <laughs> the <laughs> other dogs. thing is, if he was killed on, sat on Saturday, that would still have, the dog would still have to hold it for a full 24 hours. Right. Over Depending 24. So that's, if that's. Because he would have been gone. The conference, maybe he would let the dog out when he came home from the conference. We know he was home at 10.15. At 10.15, so it would have been held from 10.15 until Sunday, No, Friday if he was night. killed on Saturday. If he was killed on Saturday. Oh, I'm saying sorry. It would st he'd still have to hold he it for still have to hold 24, it for 24 hours. hours. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Which, again, he could probably do if he's a well-trained dog, and a bigger, bigger dogs can hold it for a lot yeah. longer than smaller dogs. Yeah. 
But the other thing is the steak and the eggs yeah. issue in the stomach. Yeah. And that's yeah, harder that. for me to wrap my r- mind around. Um, so he was seen on Friday night at seven having dinner at a restaurant eating steak. There was no steak in his stomach. So if he was killed at 1040, there would be steak in his stomach, presumably. But there was um, other things. There was eggs and peppers and tomatoes, and there were eggshells in his kitchen trash. So you would think, okay, he made breakfast for himself on Saturday before he died. Although his sister says he would stay up really late working and would make eggs at night sometimes. Sometimes. but but. Then there would be steak in his stomach as well as the eggs, would there not? Right. So and would you time, be going to a conference? He, oh, sorry. What I was wondering is, do we know what time he supposedly ate the steak? Seven. Seven. At seven. So it's possible. I mean, the, the I've, I've had to deal with this in several cases. And, you know, it, with anywhere from, you know, two and a half to four hours, the food you eat is typically completely vacated from your stomach. It's moved on mm-hmm. uh, from the lumen or the stomach. So, like, if he ate... Mm-hmm steak at seven it's it's not out of the realm of possibilities that at 10 the steak is gone is really? that a true thing i read it takes up to eight yeah because the, the forensic guy on the stand too said it took like nine hours for steak to go does it get does it actually is it two to four hours is that for is that true for for steak yeah. specific for any for any food they would be and in, in, the problem with any i'm using air quotes forensic guys that are, you know, in any case, is yeah. it, it matters so much. And sometimes I get frustrated because we'll be doing a case and somebody be like, well, yeah, but they were paid by the defense. And it's like, yeah, but they're not, you know, you know, they'll be like, well, Werner Spitz, what does he know? Like he literally wrote the book, uh, but he was, because he was paid by the defense. Right. There are certainly very ethical, uh, you know, forensic specialists that will, that, that will, that will report the science and that's it. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't matter who's paying the bill. But there are also a lot of them who, you know, that they're on team prosecution. I mean, we saw it in the Melgar case, you know, with the, the blood spatter analyst and the crime scene investigator, you know, that they, they'll twist and turn. But no, it doesn't matter what it is. That's a, the amount of time it typically takes. And there's a range, like I said, two and a half to four hours um, in a normal, healthy adult that it takes food to break down to the point. It's not like it's gone. It's just moved out of the stomach into the next, into the next mm-hmm. um, set, set of intestines. Certainly, after three or four hours, it would be broken down to the point where it would it would what usually is not identifiable. You know, where where they could say that you know there's there's food again. I keep referencing back to the Melgar case because we all know it, but in Jamie's stomach and in uh, in Jim's stomach, where they you know that there was there was partially digested food and they couldn't quite identify what was in there. It gives you an idea of how long it takes. But to say that it would still be you know chunks of steak in your stomach nine out eight nine hours later is is just not correct based on my not medical expert opinion. But the fact that there was, okay, so here's the question that's going to come up. If he's eating steak at seven o'clock, is he turning around and cooking himself eggs and peppers at 10? Because there were eggs and peppers in his stomach. So would a three hour, you know, if he finishes meal at 730 or so, is he hungry again at 10 o'clock and cooking himself some eggs and peppers? To be honest with you, I didn't know that was a thing people did until both his sisters, and then I believe it was you, Katie, who said that you are a late night egg cooker. I'm a night egg cooker. Didn't you say in the podcast that you that that you sometimes cook eggs late at night? It is true. I have been known to do it, <laughs> and I know my husband does it. Yeah, it is true. But but when you do it late at night, and this is all obviously speculation, anecdotal, but 
the fact, like if it was like, there's some eggs, cause I've certainly, if I'm hungry and I'm in a hurry, yeah, eggs are a big go-to for me. It's just like throw some butter in a pan, throw some eggs, whip them up, scramble them and shove them in my face. But I have definitely never, when I'm just hungry and cravings and I just want to eat something real quick, diced up tomatoes and peppers and, yeah. you know, and made a whole omelet. That just doesn't, but again, you know, who knows what this what this guy would do again it seems the weird. victimology like is he on a really really protein heavy diet that oh. he uh-huh. would want a steak and then three hours later have an omelet we don't know the well the other thing to me that i wonder is you know we say that that tom has an alibi on saturday night like how str- what is his alibi and how strong is it Really good question. I've watched this yeah. episode a thousand times and I've been trying to figure out, they don't say, they don't say in the Dateline episode what his actual alibi is. They also don't say what Larry's actual alibi is for Friday night. It's that people right. saw him out and about. Tom's alibi on Saturday is that he was at the hospital because he hurt his back right. falling out of his truck on Friday. Or mm-hmm. killing Brian on Friday. Yeah, that right. was hard. In a struggle. Well, this is this is my whole thing with it is I would love to know, um, you know, I, I've certainly tore apart some alibis that were supposedly ironclad in the past. And mm-hmm. I'd love to know what his alibi actually, because here's the thing. This is something that Jim Clemente has taught me over and over again is he'll say, I don't believe in coincidences. Now, this lead with Larry, there is some things like, so he is, you know, so he's supposedly like at a therapist's office and somebody says they overhear him getting yes. details of the crime scene. Yes. Like, to me, that all strikes me as bullshit. Like, it's all hearsay. It's secondhand. You know, it, could it be possible? Sure. But they also have, there. there's a lot of, you know, people could be influenced a lot. Like, if the police were like, well, you talk to him, he seems to, you know, they can get people to re-remember things a little differently. But so... In the little bit of victimology we do have and that we do know about Brian, we know that he has started uh, dating, so to speak, Tom's girlfriend, Anne. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tom, he calls the house and, and Tom hears the answering machine message and is really upset. This leads to this big breakup. Tom flips the hell out and he's, he's breaking into Anne's house, reading her diary, breaking into Brian's house, the victim. He Mm -hmm. is, you know, he's kind of holding Anne captive when he's like, Brian, like Tom's lost his mind Mm -hmm. over this and is, and is threatening and calling and hanging up and throwing a brick through his window, uh, through the victim's window. So like, this is where I don't believe in coincidences. And when we're looking at victimology, like where is the threat? And it's like, ding, 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 ding. Here is a massive threat in a town of 260 people where no one's been killed in decades. And then this guy gets killed and it's like, hmm, probably not him. It might be this other guy that's, it doesn't, you know, the odds yeah. of that happening are so astronomical in my opinion. It's Occam's razor. It's what's the simplest solution. And it exactly. all points to Tom, to me, but he was arrested twice and, yeah. you know, got off. And once. tried and acquitted. So, yeah. And that, that, that's the unfortunate part is if Tom did this. Then he'll never be he'll never be prosecuted for it because he was prosecuted for it and he was acquitted and he was acquitted because there was no evidence. There was no evidence because the police cleaned up completely the crime scene, didn't collect any evidence. And then you mentioned in passing Calamity Jane, the uh, the bloodhound that <laughs> she was Calamity failed Jane. by her handler. I don't feel like it was Calamity's fault. 
we're not. She's no, sweet, we're not placing any doggy. blame on the dog. She's a no, sweet puppy. This is not the dog's fault. Right. She would never pee in the house. By the way, if she was left in there, she's doing it. No, she would not. Mm-mm. It's good girl. Uh, but yeah, so she. The whole story with that is they. There's uh, uh, Brian, the victim, has his holster to his gun. It's found right. like out in the yard, and they take Calamity Jane, this dog, and and give her one of Tom's hats to catch a scent. We talked about um, scent dogs just a couple of weeks ago on on the show. Uh, and then mm-hmm. she starts smelling that scent and goes running out in the yard all the way out into the weeds where the uh, the holster was, indicating that Tom had been there. And that was like the as, – as, as sad as it is, that was like the strongest piece of evidence they had. And then mm-hmm. and then her handler in the, in the hearing before trial says, oh, we had certifications and it blew away. And they're like, what? And then it, and yeah. then like, it was well, on the roof of my car, blew away. Yeah. And then they're like, well, it's been a year and a half and you, and you have to do continuing education training. How about that? And he's like, yeah, uh, I no. feel bad for that guy. He just got like he started a lie and it just got away from it. Like, it's, it's like, that's that's what it is. Like this things. dog was never certified. It was no, just, no, no. That guy dog, said Calamity he was, Jane, but she can smell a coon down. At, you know, he's got this, this like living legend. Of yeah. Calamity Jane, and then tells the fucking police that she's certified <laughs> as a scent search and rescue dog. I think <laughs> he was ma- bragging about it at the local bar to pick up on chicks, and then the police overheard and said, "Oh, come with us. Come on." Oh. And he's like, "Shit, this was a lie. This I was can't. all a lie." But I mean, what's also the chances that in a two hundred and some some odd person town, there's happens to be. A registered like bloodhound, <laughs> like do you know what I'm saying? What are the right. what are the odds that that's? Can you can maybe. you imagine him <laughs> on his way to that hearing? Like oh he's God. on his way there, like sweating oh, buckets. What? You, you think they're gonna ask? You think they're gonna ask for the papers? I'm gonna be God good as long it. as they don't ask about my certification oh. and qualifications for the job. I'll be fine. Can as I long say as my printer was broken? I'm just gonna say my printer was broken. I'm just gonna say <laughs> it's out of toner. Ink. I'm out of there ink. was no toner yeah. at any store, so I couldn't print it. Uh, it's not good. Um. Oh. 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 Wait. Wait. Really quick. Um. I had. I remember my thought about the steak. There is a chance that the person, the only word that we get that he actually had steak that's then not in the stomach is this one person that saw him at a diner eating a big old Montana steak, is what he says in the trial. Uh-huh. That guy might be full of baloney. That might be right. something that he remembers his friend was eating a steak and has transferred it to remembering that that's what Brian was eating. But And when did they ask do you know what all I'm this saying? stuff matters? All, we say that all the time. Did, did they yeah. ask three weeks later, or did they ask right. the next day? When right. did they ask him? Yeah, to remember and, this. and that's the same thing. Even with like the person who, you know, was sitting next to Larry in the therapist office. You know, when did they ask them? A year later, the after all, it got mm-hmm. or yeah, that, that it got around town mm-hmm. for a year that this guy mm-hmm. might be involved when they asked him. I have some outside state- information on that, by the way. <laughs> so one of the persons that overheard in the therapist office, I'm not sure if this is mentioned in the Dateline, is Tom's sister. Oh, yeah, there's so a connection she's between the, people the two suspects. It. She worked at the therapist's office, and she is one of the people that overheard. So she, yeah, she isn't. But isn't the sister the one, well, there's the, as you guys call her, the mean New York sister, and then the. No, Tom's sister, not Brian's sister. Sorry, sorry. Tom, oh, oh, the Tom, suspect. Tom, 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 yeah. Tom, 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 Tom. There's a connection between the two suspects there. 
Yeah. Yes. Right. So oddly overheard enough, Larry talking about suspect one's sister, sister. tells police yes. that I heard suspect two saying all this stuff. Correct. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. don't think it was Larry. That's that's uh my my final uh, uh opinion on the case is that it wasn't Larry. It's too much of a coincidence for it not to have been Tom. And uh, it, it's really unfortunate. Maybe we'll find out if he writes an OJ type book about you know how he would have done it mm-hmm. had he done it. Uh, I did do some. I gave it a bing, and uh, he did get divorced from his second wife because he remarried or he married mm-hmm. after losing the love of his life, Anne, to Brian, who was perhaps tranquilizing her with animal drugs. Oh yeah, that's to get why. her to. Yeah, you that remember was weird. that one? Yeah, he thought that Anne left him because, because Brian drugs. was drugging her with veterinary medicine Very and hypnotizing her. And then Keith says, "Because why would she leave you?" <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but he ended up divorcing his second wife, who did accuse him of domestic violence, but then later recanted it. Oh. That's all I could find about him. So we don't know then. He's he's still around. Well, it, it's a very interesting case. It's a good uh, uh, episode on Dateline. It's an even better episode on A Date with Dateline. That's the podcast. This is Katie and Kimberly. Check out A Date with Dateline. And ladies, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. And I'm definitely going to have you back again for True Crime Binge. Yay. Thank you we so didn't much, We scare Bob. you off too much. Excellent. Thank you for having us. Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.